human knee. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime and me. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Criminy. We're your hosts, Matt and Ange, and we're gonna tell you fucked up stories. Mine's Ooh. really fucked up, so. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know why I chose it. I had a lot of trouble choosing one this week, and then for some reason, I found this one, and then I was like, I'm gonna do it, and then I was like, oh shit. Yeah, that's uh, that happens. I had I had one that I was gonna do, and it was like real bad and i was like my last few have been real bad i need like i know that's like the point of the podcast and i that is not the point of the podcast well for me it is but then i needed a little breather well good thing you took the breather because i did not so if you had a real bad one mine's like i mean it's still about murder so it's still bad bad, of course i mean yeah who's to compare you know we shouldn't compare pain but (laughs) So, this, I guess I'll just jump right in. Hop in. So, bear with me here. I, like, had this idea of how I wanted it to go, and then I was having trouble finding the information I was looking for, and then I found the information, but then different sites had differing information, you know, where it's like, oh, "Oh, the years are slightly different, or, like, like, so. I had that a little bit, too, and I was like, I... I hate it. I found one website and it laid everything out. I was like, this is beautiful. And then I found another website. Like, you have to do digging nowadays Mm -hmm. because Google sucks. So you have to, like, really dig. So I found, like, one website that led me to another website that led me to, like, other Mm -hmm. sources. But then some sources were, like, I, I, like, did my outline through this one source. And then another source had, like, kind of contradictory stuff. So I did Mm -hmm. my best. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just bear with me. Okay, so I got my information from Murderpedia, ThoughtCo... No way, I have a thought co as a source too. I feel like they're like <laughs> I feel like you always do some from like thought co and they're they're good. Uh-huh. Um and then there's one that's called Mia.com. Mia? Yeah. Okay. And then one that's like M-A-A-M-O-D-T dot A-S-P dot Radford dot E-D-U. Okay. And then there's one that's SusanMustafa.com, which she wrote a book about this, which I mm. wish that I could. It wasn't at the library, so I couldn't find Damn. the book. But I'm sure it was, like, a very well-written book. And then I got one from, uh, like, Crime Library okay. Archives. So, Connie Lynn Warner disappeared from her home in Oak Shadows subdivision in Zachary, Louisiana. Zachary. On either August 23rd or August 24th in 1992. Okay. Weeks later, her badly decomposed body was found nude in a vacant lot in Baton Rouge on Sorrel Street on September 2nd, 1992, near the Capitol Lake, close to the state Capitol building. Just out in the open? Yep. Ooh. All clues to her attacker were washed away by Hurricane Andrew. Oh, shit. Well, that's convenient for the Even killer. Even harder. It was determined that she died from a skull fracture. Oh. And then I saw another source that said that she was beaten with a hammer. Well, that'll fracture your skull. Yeah. Fuck. And Connie's daughter's ex-boyfriend reported seeing a man watching the family's house before Connie disappeared. <gasps> Creepy. 
So Connie was an accountant. She was an attractive white woman with dark brown hair, pronounced mm-hmm. cheekbones, and a friendly smile. She was 41 years old. Oh, so young. In 1993, a teenage couple was attacked while alone in their car parked by a cemetery. Ooh. This also is different. It's one said that they were attacked with a with six feet of harvesting tool. What? Does and then one that said mean? that they were killed by like a one foot harvesting knife or something. So I'm thinking like one of those thing, you know, the thing. Maybe oh. I don't know. I don't know. You know. The like the like Grim the Reaper Sith or whatever it's called. What's it called? Yeah, that thing, the Grim Reaper. The Grim Reaper mobile. Tool. Tool. <laughs> what is that thing called? It's called like a Sith. Sith. A Sith or Sith. something, right? Sith. Scythe. Oh yeah, maybe something. Well, we're not. Farmers. I don't know what a harvesting tool is, <laughs> but I'm like an amateur gardener, and I've only uh, well, ever used like using my hands and a shovel. Tool to harvest and your like five the, tomatoes. And sometimes like one of those rake hoe things. Those are good. Oh, an old rake hoe. Yeah, you get the okay. roots really good. Okay. Uh, this couple survived. Oh. Then okay. Eugenie Boyce, Boyce Fontaine, who lived near Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, disappeared either from her home on Stamford Avenue in Baton Rouge or from the LSU Lakes where she sometimes liked to go for walks. Ooh. She was murdered on June 13th, 1997. A visiting professor found her credit cards in a circle near... The lakes on June 14th. Like laid out in a circle? Yeah, like laid out in a circle. Yeah, weird. Her body was discovered on August 7th under a tire along the edge of Bayou Monk. Monk Monchek. Monchek. Yep, that's totally. M-A-N-C-H-A-C. Monchek. Monchek? Near Alligator Bayou Bar. I don't know if it's a bar or if it's like... Uh. A sandbar, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know Louisiana uh, at yes. all. Yes. Okay. Monchak. 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 By the Alligator Bar. Near Alligator Bayou Bar. Bayou Bar. Bayou. I like that word. Okay. She died from a skull fracture resulting from a beating. Eugenie was a white woman with brown hair, highlighted hair, a nice smile, pronounced cheekbones. She was 34 years old. So the, her and Connie looked similar. I, or yeah, from I'm the description. so, yeah. They both had, like, cheekbones and hair. Okay, the, <laughs> similar. Susan, uh, what was her name? Susan Mustafa, she, like, wrote these descriptions, and I feel like she put, like, pronounced cheekbones for, like, all of them, so. Okay. I don't really know what, I mean, I know what a pronounced cheekbone looks like. I don't know if they all had them, but she thought that they did, so. More pronounced than she's used to. Who knows? Maybe she just thinks... All women have the nice cheekbones that we're all going for. Um, I think mine are pretty pronounced. <laughs> I don't think. I mean, when you smile. Look at my prof. Like, look. Yeah, you know? I see you smiling and you're puffing <laughs> up those cheekbones. Uh-huh. They puff up. Uh huh. I think that's just I do that? normal. Yeah. Very yeah, pronounced. I'm not sure. I don't know that I would say pronounced. Okay, well, that, I, I think they all looked, existing. you know, they all had existing cheekbones. <laughs> Okay, then there's Randy Mebure Brewer. She disappeared from her home in Oak Shadows Subdivision in Zachary, Louisiana on April 18th, 1998, while her three-year-old son slept in his bedroom. Oh, shit. Her house was just one block away from the home of Connie Warner. 
Um, apologies for any background noises. There is. <laughs> We're in a zoo right now. <laughs> there's a dog and a cat that will not leave us alone. They need to be close. They do. It's fine. So. Okay, let's not start the knee nibbles. Okay. That always leads to the butt licks. Okay. Yeah, it's a slippery slope she's from knee nibble to butt licking. her tail. Oh, shit. And then she's going to go to the knee, and that's just one hop over. A quick bust Steph? right over. Just lay down, honey. What I tell you, now she's on the knee nibbles. Zephyr, girl. It's because she's got her knee pains from her chonkiness. Oh, yeah, how's that acupuncture? Is that scary or is that good? I wonder where they put the needles in a dog. I don't know, all over. Right. She can't feel shit. That's true. (laughs) Okay. So, like I said, her house was just one block from Connie Warner's home. And her house was covered in blood. Fuck. Uh, so someone's Ra- like prowling that neighborhood. Yeah. So, okay. Randy's body has never been found. Oh. She worked in home health care. Uh, she was also a white woman with reddish brown hair, a beautiful smile, and pronounced cheekbones. She was 28 years old. In huh. each crime, the victim's keys were missing, which led mm. police believe that the perpetrator was taking them as souvenirs. So this reminded me of the Golden State Killer yeah. and how it terrified a whole neighborhood. Like, the whole neighborhood around Louisiana State University was so terrified at this point, And they thought that maybe he was going after, like, girls with brown hair. So yeah. they're, like, cutting their hair, dyeing their hair, you know? It's, oh, like, shit. the same kind of situation where... Same with, like, Bundy, too. With, like, Bundy, where you... Yeah, it's like, oh, my God, he has a type. We need to, like... Fuck. Change it up. Yeah, and, I mean, I don't know. Like, the key thing makes me think, too, that not only was it a souvenir, but, like, also, like, a means to terrorize further to be, like, I can break into your house yeah. and steal your things or harass anyone else that's in there or, like, yeah. I have the power to your house now. Yeah, that's terrifying. Okay. Should I wait? Zephyr. Oh, she's got an itchy ear. You got something in there? A little alligator? Oh. And that is why your bed is a mess. Yeah, I figured as much. Oh, she does have a little tummy rash where her belly folds. (laughs) (laughs) Poor thing. Oh, we done now? For a little bit at least? Okay, I'll take that as a yes. Okay. Gina Wilson Green was raped and murdered in her home on Stamford Avenue in Baton Rouge on September 23rd, 2001. Her body was discovered on September 24th by a coworker who decided to check in on her when she didn't report to work. The cause of her death was determined to be strangulation. Shit, so this was, when did you say the first one was? 90... 92. Two? So from 92 to 2000, they still have no idea mm-hmm. who is killing people. Oh, shit. Okay. Yep. Uh, so the cause of her death was strangulation, which is different from the other ones. She was a nurse who specialized in infusion therapy. She was a white woman with dark brown hair, a beautiful smile, pronounced cheekbones, and she was 39 years old. Hmm. Geraldine Barr DeSoto was stabbed to death and almost beheaded in her home Hmm. off of Highway 1 in Addis, Louisiana, just across the Mississippi River from Baton Rouge, on January 14th, 2002. 
She was discovered by her husband, Darren, when he returned home from work that day. Shit. Geraldine's husband was the prime suspect, but uh -huh. DNA evidence proved otherwise. Oof. Geraldine was a couple months away from starting school to become an occupational therapist. She had a job interview set up for 2.30 on the afternoon of January 14th, and she never made it. Just before noon, someone broke into her home. The intruder smacked her in the head with a telephone and stabbed her three times. Geraldine survived that, and she ran for her bedroom, got her hands on a shotgun. She tried to turn the gun on her attacker, and he managed to get it out oh, of her hands. Oh, God. Then he cut her throat from <gasps> ear to ear and stomped on her body. Oh, Okay. She was also a white woman with brown hair, dark brown hair, high cheekbones, and a lovely smile. She was 21 years old. Fuck. Christine Moore disappeared while jogging along River Road in Baton Rouge on May 23rd, 2002, not too far from the home of Charlotte Murray Pace, who Jeez. was murdered a week later. Her body would be discovered on June 16th in a ravine that ran alongside the Ebenezer Baptist Church just a few miles down the river road. Dogs were scavenging her remains. <gasps> she died from a skull fracture resulting from blunt force trauma. What do you mean dogs were scavenging her remains? Why are they dogs? Like dingoes? What the hell are these? Just loose dogs? Yeah, I guess Baton Rouge has like some wild dogs roaming around. Why you hell? dogs. I mean, are bayou the, hounds. Are bayou dogs just alligators? <laughs> One would think so, yes. With those uh, alligator, what were the uh, the avocado that you said last week? The alligator alligator pears, pears. alligator skin pears. Ew. Alligator pears, not skin. <laughs> kind of though, right? That's where the idea came from. Unless they were talking about their balls. You think they were talking about their balls? Alligator pears? In reference cool. to the skin or the oh. balls? <laughs> well, we are way off no topic. No comment? Okay. <laughs> okay, back to this. <laughs> so, Christine was working on her master's degree at LSU. Uh -uh. She was a black woman with dark brown hair, beautiful eyes, beautiful smile, and pronounced cheekbones. She huh. was 23 years old. So now... So he's... Okay. It's, like, hard to tell. Like, you know, if you're a police officer, yeah. usually serial killers choose... Have a type. Yes. And they don't usually kill outside of their own ethnicity. Right. So we think, but... Usually. This one's, like... And this person, like, also attacked a couple. Right. So it's, like, everyone's well, being attacked. yeah. I mean, some of them could be, like... Excuse me. Oh. Some of them could be, like more like opportunity mm -hmm. attacks where you're like, I'm ready for a kill. But like, that's, that's just the person that happens to pass by. Yeah. I hate that so much. Ugh. Okay. Charlotte Murray Pace was raped and stabbed to death in her home on Charlotte Avenue in Baton Rouge on May 31st, 2002. Ugh. So we're still in 2002. Shit. She had recently moved from Stanford Avenue where Gina Wilson Green had been murdered. Oh my God. She was stabbed 83 times <gasps> with a flathead screwdriver. Oh, no. She was beaten with a clothes iron and had her throat cut. Do, do you know if the... I mean, it so, almost sounds like the, the the weapons that this person is choosing are like, like opportunity. In the house. Yeah. yeah, kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So Murray is what her friends and family called her. She graduated from LSU just days before. She was the youngest person ever to receive an MBA in business administration from the university. Wow. Murray was a white woman with dark brown hair, a friendly smile, pronounced cheekbones. She was 21 years old. Fuck. Yeah, so it seems like he doesn't, I mean, seems to prefer women. The age is like... I mean, I guess sometimes between, I don't know, I'm bad telling people's ages, like yeah. between 20 and 40, I don't know. Yeah, basically. Know. But then it's just like... If you got like, those cheekbones... It's just, can... it, it just made me think of the Golden State Killer because it's in the same neighborhood, like mm-hmm. ha- like doors down, streets down, blocks away. So this whole neighborhood is just like terrorized by this person. It's so scary. And years and years are it's going so by scary. and police have no leads. Yeah. Okay, so on July 9th, 2002, someone knocked on Diane Alexander's door. Mm-mm. When she answered it, a man requested to use her phone nope. because he said he was lost. Nope. Then he barged in, tried to rape her, beat her, and attempted to choke her with a phone cord. Fuck. When he heard a car pull up outside, he <sighs> fled from the house. Oh, shit. After recovering from her injuries, Diane created a sketch of the man shit. with police who had attacked her. So her and the couple are the only ones that have seen him and gotten away. That have survived. But also, Uh, um, the first one, Connie Warner's daughter's ex-boyfriend saw someone someone lurking. lurking. Yeah. Okay. So, Pamela Piglia Kinnamore disappeared from her home in Briarwood Estates in Baton Rouge on July 12, 2002. Her body was discovered four days later under the Whiskey Bay Bridge, Mm. which goes over... Oh, God, no way. At, at Chafalaya. Yep. At Chafalaya. <laughs> oh, the old Atchafalaya swamp. swamp that goes. Atchafalaya Swamp. Right over those just alligator west pears. Of Baton Rouge. Past the alligator pears. Mm-hmm. Past the. Uh, alligator bar. Bayou Hounds. Uh, the bayou. <laughs> yep. Sounds familiar. I did not even catch that when I was, like, writing this. That's like, copy-paste that name. Yeah. Did not try to pronounce that. So, Pamela had been raped. Her throat slit several times to the point where she was almost beheaded. Jesus. Pamela's the owner of an antique shop called Comforts and Joys mm. in Denham Springs, Louisiana. Uh, she was a white woman with dark brown hair, a lovely smile. And? Pronounced cheekbones. Mm-hmm. She was 44 years old. So, at the end of July 2002... Women started taping down their cheekbones. (laughs) That's right. You do not show those cheekbones. A task force was finally formed. Finally? Jeez. Finally. They wanted to see how many cases were linked to one perpetrator. Because like Uh I said, the victimology is different. The method of killing is different. Like... The it's only like thing that's similar is that area. it's in the same area. That's basically and it. And cheekbones. And those damn cheekbones. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Gotta have those cheekbones. So an FBI offender profile suggested that the suspect was likely to be... <gasps> do you want to guess? What do they always say? A small child. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, let's see. A man yeah. between the ages of 25 yes. and 35. Yes. White. Yes. Uh, yes. That's basically it. That's, okay. that's what they went into. That's exactly the profile. Yep. That's like the profile they always give. So 
One of the officers on the task force and an attorney general thought that they knew who the murderer was. Oh. They said it's a local pervert named Derek Todd Lee. The lead agency told them that they were wrong because the FBI profile said that it was a white man and Derek was black. So, wrong. The local perv. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so gross. Uh, so this, the, this murderer was named the Baton Rouge Slasher and the Baton Rouge Serial Killer. Uh, yeah, like, not all of them were slashed. Mm-mm. It's like the Slasher and Basher. Or the Serial Killer. How about the Baton Rouge asshole? Yeah. Okay. How about the perv? So the task force are they're like, okay, well we got our FBI profile, which you so correctly mm-hmm. you could be a profiler. I'm a profiler. You could be a profiler. So they start focusing on white men and take DNA samples of like hundreds or thousands of white men. Damn. Then the killer struck again. Mm-hmm. Trinisha Denae Cologne disappeared from beside her mother's grave in oh, Grand no. Coteau, Louisiana, on November 21st, 2002. Fuck. She well, was, that's another one of the cemetery. Yeah. She was discovered November 24th in a wooded area off of Renaud Drive in Scott, Louisiana, by a hunter. She had been raped and beaten to death with a tree branch. Ooh, Fuck. At the time of her death, Danae was trying to deal with the loss of her mom, uh-huh. who had died seven months earlier, Shit. and she was going to join the the Marine Corps. Damn. Danae was a black woman with dark brown hair, a beautiful smile, pronounced cheekbones, and she was 23 years old. So after this, the task force ramped up. Yeah. Someone said that they had seen a suspect, and it was a white guy in a truck with a Jesus fish on the back. Hell yeah, you gotta so, be suspicious of those guys. I mean, can really? you imagine how many guys are in white pickup trucks with, with Jesus, Jesus fishes fish. on the back yep. in mm-hmm. Louisiana? I mean, I'm suspicious of them all anyway. If you got a Jesus fish on your anything, you should have to donate your DNA. You should so that have we can... to register yourself. Yeah. As like a, a psycho. <laughs> as a questionable human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they narrowed their search on dudes with white trucks and Jesus fish. No, it sounds uh, like they're just like. Whatever. I don't know. They're at this point. They're grasping at straws. Like yes. what did what did the witnesses say? They said they saw a twenty five year old black uh, white man. The in... sketch that was done. So I'll get into okay. that in like a minute. But and like I said, there's like one detective and the um, attorney general who are like, we know who it fucking is. Like we know who it is. Why? How hard is it to take his DNA? Like we know who it is. So. Uh, yeah, you're collecting thousands of other people's DNA when you could yep. just have one more. And just, like, you know, rule them out if you really don't believe it. But that's the thing so... about, like, the arrogance of people well, in that profession in. where they're like, nope, we're not even going to, we don't even care. I like... Even though it would take, like, two seconds to, like, swab his cheek and be like, moving on. Well, it drives me nuts because you hear, you hear, like, good police officers or good detectives who are like, if we find a suspect and we know it's that suspect, we do everything that we can to rule out that suspect so we know for sure it's that suspect. And that's how you, you know? should do it. That's yeah. how you should do it. These people, like, they narrow in and they, like, they, they ignore want, the yeah. rest. They ignore well, the facts. They don't facts. want anyone telling them that they're wrong but or also, that they're picking the wrong people. Like, I don't know, in the task force, I don't know how many of the murders they actually were like, this is all, you know, I don't know how many of these women were sure attributed like, to this one killer, so I don't know what they're going off of. But. but still, like you said, if they, even if 
even if one person is like, I think it's this person, take his DNA to prove that it's not and yeah. then move on. Yeah, especially if it's like a fellow like officer or mm-hmm. fellow detective, like why not humor them, you know? Because mm-hmm, they got to be like, nope, I'm the one that's right. You can't tell me what to do. The FBI said, it's like, well, mm-hmm. clearly we could all be profilers because we all know it's a white man from the ages of 25 to 35. With a Jesus fish. With a Jesus fish and a mommy issues. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Then, as they're ramping up and checking all the, like, Jesus Fish truck drivers, (laughs) Marianne Fowler disappeared from a parking lot of a Subway restaurant in Port Allen on Christmas Eve in 2002. No. Marianne was the wife of a jailed former commissioner of elections, Jerry M. Fowler. Mm. She bore a striking resemblance to Lynn Marino, who was the mother of Pam Kinnamore. Marianne was on her way to visit her husband in prison when she disappeared. Fuck. Her body was never found and was declared legally dead in 2004. Shit. Marianne was a white woman with reddish brown hair, a lovely smile, pronounced cheekbones. Mm-hmm. She was 65 years old. Then, Carrie Lynn Yoder, or Yoder, had just returned from a trip to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. Nolens. Nolens. Uh, <laughs> When she disappeared from her home on Dodson Avenue in Baton Rouge on March 3rd, 2003. She was unloading groceries from her car when she was taken. So he's just like this opportunity killer. Like every one of them is like, she just stepped out or Mm -hmm. she was just doing this. She went for a walk or she was doing something super basic that everyone does. And then he killed her with like something that he found. I mean, how many times have I been in the trunk of my car digging out groceries, you know, trying to like get as many as I can in one trip when someone could just sneak up behind me and that's it never get groceries i'm never eating again never never leave your house (laughs) you can't order in some people know your address like you can't go get him because someone's gonna like walk up behind you in fact you can't even be in your house because someone's gonna know you're in there you gotta fucking go like live in the woods you just have to like move all the time but you can't be out in public because someone's gonna snatch you you gotta build a tree house real high up Uh. real high up in a dense forest you gotta become the unabomber yeah 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 I mean, that, to be seen the inside of his little shed. It's tiny. Oh, God. It was, like, Itty. all full of soot. It was gross in there. I, mean, I don't even know what he was eating in there. It was, like, he was kind canned of a gross weird things. Dude. He was kind of a gross dude. Yeah. Yeah, he was. <laughs> okay, anyway. So, uh, okay. Okay, so her body was found floating under the Whiskey Bay Bridge on mm. March 13th. She had been raped, beaten, and strangled. Carrie was originally from Tampa, and she was working on her master's degree at LSU. Shit. Her dream was to save Louisiana's wetlands. Oh, no. So she was just, like, a wonderful person, like all these other wonderful women who had so much promise, like LSU students or just graduated or just, like, living their lives or almost going to, like, follow their dreams. It's horrible. Carrie was a white woman with long, curly brown hair, big smile, pronounced cheekbones. She was 26 years old. So, Hmm. finally, around May, the last week of May 2003, somehow this detective and attorney general convinced the police. So, what they did is they, like, pulled up his records and pulled up, like, all of his, like, where he had moved and everything. And when he was locked up and when he was free, and they, like, matched Matched everything Yes, they were like, he was out during this time. Like, here's when this murder happened. So, then finally, the last week of May 2003... DNA swabs were taken from a West Feliciana parish man who resembled the most recent composite of the suspect, 
and they were rushed to the crime lab for analysis. Damn. So the woman who survived the attack, who created the mm-hmm. profile, the picture looks just like this dude. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, but then it's like, okay, but that, at that time he attacked that couple. So they didn't necessarily know that it was related. And then the other woman who was attacked. Okay. The woman. But still you have a picture that she's like come up with and you're like, this is obviously not a white man in his twenties. Yeah. We can take his DNA. And it looks just like the guy that we've been saying. It look, this is probably the guy. Yep. What the hell? So the lab technician who was processing the sample realized that there was a positive match between the suspect's DNA and samples taken from Carrie Lynn Yoder. Technicians were able to further link the suspect to the murders of Gina Green, Charlotte Pace, Pamela Kinnamore, and Trinisha Denae Colomb. He was also linked by DNA to the murders of Randy Brewer and Geraldine DeSoto. So these were all attributed to the Baton Rouge serial serial killer, a.k.a. 34-year-old Derek Todd Lee. Mm. Got the age range, right? Just about. The Baton Rouge pervert. Almost aged out of that. Yeah, almost. (laughs) Jeez. So on Monday, that must be on May. 26. Is it on Monday 26? On May 26, 26. <laughs> uh-huh. 2003, police issued an arrest warrant for Derek, who fled to Chicago and then to Atlanta in an effort to escape murder charges. So when they issued the warrant, he and his family had been gone for approximately three weeks. Mm. They learned that on the day that Derek voluntarily provided his DNA, his wife Jacqueline withdrew their young son and daughter from school, claiming that they were moving to Los Angeles, and they quickly packed up their belongings. So he was like, yeah, I'll give you my DNA, and then they left. Yep, abandoned the house. Well, it seemed like right after the FBI was like, it's totally this one type of person, then he's like, sick, I can kill again, and I'm just like, immediately kill again. And yeah, they'll never I'm find me it. because yeah. they're not looking for me. Yeah. Plus, I'm about to age out of that age group, mm-hmm. so I'm fine. Damn. Yep. So on May 27th, 2003, Atlanta police working with the FBI, Atlanta task force apprehended Derek at a hotel where he was staying. Derek waived extradition and was flown back to Louisiana the following day. Initially, he was charged with only Carrie Lynn's murder. Mm. However, by early June, he was also accused of the other murders. So I mean, couldn't he have been accused, charged with, like, attempted murder of the woman that was like, that's the dude that attacked me? Well, yeah, but then you have to, she has to be willing to face him in court. Right, okay. It's like a whole thing. Yeah, so gotcha. if you don't have to yeah. subject her to that, it's probably best, unless yeah. she wants to, right. unless that's right, part right, of her right. healing. But it's, right. like, up to her yeah. at that point. So you might as well get him for, traumatic. like, yeah. the ones you can really prove and that the, the victim doesn't have to face him mm-hmm. if she doesn't want to. So during the investigation into Derek, the police learned that he had an extensive criminal history. So let's get into Derek Todd Lee. Derek Todd the perv. Derek Todd Lee was born on November 5th, 1968, which I think is a Scorpio. I didn't no- look that one up. November 5th? Yeah, November 5th. I think it is. September. It's on the... October. Yeah, October, November. Yeah. yeah. Scorpio. In St. Francisville, Louisiana, to Samuel Ruth and Florence Lee. His father left Florence soon after Derek was born. Then 
when he left, Samuel Ruth left, it was a good thing because he suffered from mental illness and ended up in mental institutions after being charged with attempted murder of his ex-wife. Oh, damn. Yep. Florence later married Coleman Barrow, who raised Derek and his sisters. Together, the parents taught their children the importance of education and the Bible. Mm-hmm. His stepfather was abusive to Derek, and his mother was said to be domineering, but she never intervened. Well, that's the Bible. That's the best way to mother a child. I mean, yikes. So it's weird because the, this, the one of the first articles that I read about him, like, framed it all in, like, a nice way, where they were like, oh, he was, like, a responsible, the stepfather mm. was a responsible man. He took care of the kids like they were his own. And then another one was like, yeah, he beat the shit out of Derek. And then it's like, okay. Well, I mean, that's the, on, uh, like, the old Christian the way of mm-hmm. keeping your children in line. Just like the Bible says. Yeah. So, yeah, especially if you're reading that Old Testament, God is not nice. He's not a good guy. Or girl. Well, guy <laughs> in the Bible, so. Yeah, he's a man-god. <laughs> so Derek grew up in a small town in South Louisiana. His neighbors and friends were mostly from his extended family. Mm. And he didn't really like school very much. He liked playing in the school band, mm-hmm. but he struggled a lot academically. Uh because when he was younger, his IQ was calculated to below, from below 70 to 75. So it was like really, school was really hard for him. Okay. Because he had a lower IQ. And no cheekbones. The, he was jealous of those cheekbones. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah, They're well, very That is right where now. your wisdom is held. In Not the, the wisdom teeth and the cheekbones. That's close enough. I mean, your wisdom teeth are the roots are going like right up into the cheekbones. And then it stores mm-hmm. in the cheekbones. So the bigger the cheekbones, yep. the more mm-hmm. wisdom you have. So he was bullied by the other kids in school because he was in special education classes. They'd call him names because he was a little Great. bit slow. He got in a lot of trouble in school, and he would suck his thumb in class, and he, like, would call the teacher mom. Oh, no. So it's not a good thing. Oh, yeah. Domineering mothers. Teased, and then bullied, and then you got a shitty home life, and you're not that smart. Oh, he's got, like, the perfect combination. Just wait. Oh, good. So by the time Derek turned 11, he had been caught peeping into the windows of girls in his neighborhood. Mm. And he continued to do that as a as an adult. Well, yeah, that's why they call him the old perv. He did learn how to talk his way out of getting into trouble, though, and he never took responsibility for his actions. Yeah. He also liked to torture dogs and cats, in particular his own dog and her puppies. Fun. Mm-hmm. At thirteen, Derek was arrested for burglary and vandalizing a candy store. <sighs> He also attacked a woman who accused him of peeping in front of his mother. Damn. He was also known to the local police because of his peeping issues. But it wasn't until he turned 16 that his anger got him into real trouble. At one point, he pulled a knife on a boy during a fight. Fuck. It was charged with attempted second-degree murder. Whoa. But for some reason, he was let go. He could really talk, talk it out. I don't know. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm sure he'd be like, well, I'm being bullied. I was just protecting myself. 
He also set his car on fire for his insurance own? Oh, money. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At 17, Derek was arrested for being a peeping Tom, but even though he was a high school dropout with multiple complaints and arrests, he avoided he avoided juvenile detention. Mm-hmm. I think he dropped out in 11th grade. So like junior year, I think. So at 19, he was arrested for attempted burglary, but charges were reduced to unauthorized entry. Okay. So he's like either a really good talker or he's like super lucky because I don't know why he's getting away with all this shit. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like the cops in the town already knew that he was like... But then you think like back then, peeping wasn't that, you know, they didn't realize how Oh, you naughty boy. Yeah, and how like... Boys evil, will be boys. It really just is. peeping in the windows yeah, at those he's just lonely, slutty girls whatever. trying to change in their own rooms. Yeah. Whatever excuses they would have. Like, they didn't realize how really toxic and horribly yeah. scary it was. So in 1988, Derek met and married Jacqueline Denise Sims. Wow, someone married him. He was 20 at the time. Mm. I think she was younger. Mm-hmm. They had two children, a boy named after him, Derek Todd Lee Jr. And in 1992, they had a girl named Doris Lee. Derek found mm. it hard to keep a job and he had like issues with his mother and uh, was kind of like, huh? okay, well, why didn't you protect me? They, like I went right. through all this trauma with my stepdad, whatever. And around this time, he also pled guilty to misdemeanor trespassing, and he was sentenced to therapy, but he never showed up. Uh, and there was no, like, punishment There's for not no. showing up to your therapy? Which I think it's really amazing that they even sentenced yeah. therapy. Yeah. But if he's not going to show if he's not going to do the work. And also, he's, like, a, such a good talker. It's like, couldn't he talk his way out of therapy to, like, a not very well-trained therapist or... A well-meaning person who wants to believe that everyone's good. I don't know. His wife also called police when Derek hit her and then threatened her father with a gun. Well, that's what I mean. What he saw growing up, right? Yep. So. So he was charged with disturbing the peace, but served no jail time. And then he was arrested for disturbing the peace after he got into a fist fight at a bar. Ooh. In he night- got arrested a lot. Yes, but then not. But then, like, let go. Yeah. So it's not going to do anything. Huh. So it's more like, we caught you doing something, and then it's like, well, these charges aren't going to stick for whatever reason. Yeah. Okay, so then after all this, this is when he killed Connie Warner, which is supposedly the first murder. He was 23. So then in November of that same year, his daughter was born. Derek was also arrested for illegal entry and burglaring Zachary resident Rob Ben Gay's house? Robin Gay's? Rob Ben Benji Benj Benj Ben Gay. Oh, wow. Benj. Rob Benj's house. Okay. Rob had come home to find Derek inside his house. Rob had two daughters, but luckily neither of them were home at the time. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Woo! Derek was also charged with uh, resisting arrest. While he was awaiting trial, he committed robbery and assault. So clearly he's learning Fuck. his lessons. 
And assault. In January of 1993, Derek and his accomplice, Thomas Whitaker Jr., were arrested for for breaking into the home of 73-year-old Melvin Foster, whom they beat with a stick and robbed of, like, like something like $5 or $10 or something. So, like, already, just, like, starting out, he... He doesn't really have, I mean, I guess robbery is like his main motive. It's not so, though. Kind of. Like, like kind of, but it's like, yeah, it's like he's he just breaking in here. He's like hurting these people. Yeah. He's stealing this shit. He's yeah. like then he's getting slapped on the people. wrist. He's getting away with it. Yep. Just, it's like, so he doesn't have a, like he doesn't have a plan at all. When he's doing things, he's just like, doesn't just seem like wake it. up in the morning, have your coffee, go out and see what comes about. And yeah, go take up advantage and of whatever you hell. can. But this is like the other thing. So I think, I think one of the other reasons why they didn't find him until later on is because he's doing all this stuff. You know, he's breaking yeah. into people's homes, he's beating people up, he's robbing people. Like he's going after men, he's going after women, yeah. but it seems like that's his MO. But then on the other side, he's also murdering and raping yes. women. Yes. So it's like, oh, this guy over here doing all of these things can't be the same guy as this right. guy over here doing these other things. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you wouldn't think someone would have that wide of an array of just that much time on your hands to just really? be going like, geez. Really? Then, in April, a Zachary police officer named Troy Eubanks spotted a car parked in the cemetery next to Oak Shadows. He saw a couple of kids making out. He pulled his patrol car behind them, and he, like, shined his flashlight into the car to kind of, like, you know, mm-hmm. get them to knock it off. Knock it off. Uh, he noticed that it was kids, but they weren't making out. They were covered in blood, Uh-oh. but they were still alive. Whoa. Okay, so this is the so this is when he attacked the kids in the car. The cemetery. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this one says oh. a three foot long cane knife. Okay. So it's either a nine foot long harvesting tool or a three foot long cane knife lay on the ground beside the car. The attacker had fled and Dogs are snoring. The police officer was unable to find him. With the, he was there? Well, he fled. Oh, okay. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. He you know, fled before. He just didn't yeah, see yeah, him. Yeah. Um, so he's like waiting. This is during the time when he's like waiting for a trial. Another time when he's like waiting for a trial for the robbery and assault <laughs> that he committed like a while ago. So then when he finally went to trial for the robbery, he was sentenced to four years in prison. But depending on what source, he only served one or two. Okay. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. So when he's 26, Derek is released from prison and moves his family to Lake Charles, Louisiana. Then in September of 1995, cops in Lake Charles, Louisiana pick him up for peeping into windows. Mm. He was fined $200 and placed on two years unsupervised probation. Well, that'll do it. How does that, that ever will keep happen? Him straight and narrow. He will stop peeping when we're what not going to be watching is him. What the unsupervised probation? How does that work? Especially when you're fucking peeping into people's windows yeah. and you already have a record. Seems like you need a lot more supervision. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, lock you're him supervising up. all these people that you're peeping on. Yeah, lock him up. Okay. During that same month, Derek was arrested again for stealing from a Salvation Army thrift store, so he moved his family back to St. Francisville. Okay. During this time, Derek finds time to have affairs. 
How? I don't know. I don't know. Jacqueline knew God. about them, but okay. I feel like there's like more time in the day for certain people. I can barely like do two things well, in one I don't day. Think and this guy is as like much. out and about, <laughs> pillaging, peeping, raping, raping killing, murdering. and then like having, having affairs. affairs on the side. Yeah. So this what this one. This is why I want to mention the article that was like, oh, the stepfather uh-huh. was like. They also said they're also like, oh, Jacqueline, his wife was so devoted to him that she accepted his whatever. But I'm thinking Jacqueline's so beat yeah. down that she's not gonna say shit about it and because see, yeah, if you've stuck by this, he's dude, gonna like beat the shit out of her. And like, I mean, what are they doing for money? Well, he like has odd jobs here and there, and he's like robbing, and I don't know. But then like he's threatened her father. I'm sure she, yeah. he's threatened her. I'm sure oh, he's threatened yeah. the children. Like. There's no way that she's devoted to him in this way. Like, she's probably terrified out of her fucking mind. Yeah, more like battered woman syndrome. And yeah. She's just there. I mean, what's the alternative? Like, you've got kids by this guy. You can't really go anywhere. I mean, I don't know if she was working or what she was doing, but I'm assuming she's raising the kids. Yeah. He's out and about and then coming back and beating her and yeah. the kids and whatever he's doing. Like, you're. what are you supposed to do? You can't leave that. I mean, no. You sh- I mean, you can, you can but it's, but like, it's really hard. hard yeah. Especially, like, you know, in the 90s when there weren't as many, like, women's shelters. People didn't know, like, it's something you don't talk... And especially in the South, too. It's, like, not something you talk about, you know? Yeah, it's normal to hate your kids and wife. So, um, obviously, like, she's also used to him being arrested. And then when he is arrested, she's like, thank God he's away. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm like, you know, my kids are fine. I'm fine. We can, like, chill for a bit. So in 1996, Jacqueline's father was killed in a plant explosion. Whoa. And she was awarded a quarter of a million dollars. Okay. She also buys a 25 caliber handgun at this time. So I feel like that says her state of mind. Uh, yeah. So when they get this money, obviously it's Derek's money, right? Yeah. So now he dresses better. He's buying cars. He's spending more money on the women he's having affairs I mean, with. Come on, a quarter million is not that much. Well, early nineties, and you're in like Louisiana. Louisiana. I feel like okay. that could go pretty far. Get you could probably buy a few purse. cars, some uh, alligator alligator pears. You yeah. know. Well, yeah, you got. I mean, it's like a cod piece. Alligator pear purse. Alligator pear purse. Yeah. Where you gotta put your balls. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what are yeah, those, like each they each have you know those, like things one half that, and one um, half go over like a half. kilt you know the, like, oh, the, the little, little bag the thing the little ball bag yeah yeah no that's alligator called. ball bag you think that'd be like a very unfortunate placement though if it hits you at the right time oh no it's protecting i understand it's protecting but it's also kind of like right in the it's right there yeah if you get like a good kick going well, why are you doing high kicks in your kilt? Because you can. You can't. That's why you wear a kilt. No, you, you'll flash range, everyone. The range of motion, then though. Then you'll flash everyone. But you have that range of motion. You don't want to be high kicking. What if you're your... doing kind of like a splits type of thing? No, you don't want to be doing splits in a skirt. And you're like dancing skirt. a little much. What? No. Who I are you like seeing you really wearing get hurt. kilts doing splits I... and high kicks and dancing? Well, you can. You have that range of motion. I'm just mm. saying. Take advantage of your... You're not wearing anything under there? No. No boxers or anything? No. Oh. It's all about the breeze. You can still get a breeze with boxers. No. Oh. Blocks the breeze. Gross. <laughs> you don't have a bag in the back. No. Well, you got to have the bag in the front to kind of hold it down from no, the wind blows. No, I understand that, but don't and... you want one in the back too? Nah. The wind blows just That's right fine. in the back. Yeah, you should have a one in the front, one in the back situation. Yeah, you got like a nice breezeway in the back, a little canal. The air to go. Oh through. God! What? 
You brought it up. That's gross. <laughs> okay, so obviously Derek is spending this money faster than he can make any money, so mm-hmm. he blows through it pretty quickly. Yeah. So when he's 28, he's arrested for a DWI. And at this time, he also earns his CDL, which is a license to drive big rigs. But he's, like, arrested for a DW... I mean, you'd think that they would check for that Uh, stuff, but I guess they didn't. Yeah. So he's also stopped by Zachary police on suspicion of peeping, but he wasn't charged, even though a witness identified him. Because they were just like, you knock it Naughty off. Maddie. Don't you be peeping through, Guess Mrs. The town pervert's back in town. Yeah, well, you gotta have you one. You should really knock that off. You do not need one. We should not have Every any. Every town has a pervert. Okay, so then, because of the DWI, his driver's license was suspended. But then a judge rescinded that order after the state failed to respond to a motion of discovery. So he got hired by Louisiana Ready Mix as wow. a truck driver. Wow. He's like the luckiest yeah, fucking guy. Geez. Yeah, This dude sucks so bad. Okay, so this was also a really busy year for him because not only did all this stuff happen, this is also the year that he murdered Eugenie Boyce Fontaine mm. in Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. He also nearly ran over a coworker's car with a semi truck, so he was demoted to driving cement trucks. Demote what? <laughs> what? Like what? Uh, yeah. Then uh. in July of 1997, the Zachary Police Department started receiving a lot of complaints from women about a peeping tom around the Oak Shadows subdivision. Outside one woman's bedroom window, police found footprints in the mud. Derek was arrested for six counts of peeping into people's windows, criminal trespassing, and burglary. He pled guilty. He was fined $400 and placed on city court probation for two years. What the fuck? He also had to undergo psychological testing. Okay. He did attend two of these therapy sessions, after which the psychologist said that Derek was, and I quote, a good verbal therapy patient. What does to a letter that to the court. Mean? I think it means that they were like, "Oh, we're making such good progress. He's like such a good subject for this." Well, like you said, obviously therapy. he's good at talking his way out of shit. A fine, but then, like I said, like how much of it is the peeping tom thing where mm-hmm. they're like, "We don't really have like a lot of laws for this. We'll just like slap you on the hand and yeah. say, no, no, you shouldn't do that." And how much of it is like him just being able to like. Well, I was in the window because I thought I saw, you know, I don't even know. No peeping. So around this time, Michelle Chapman, a survivor from the car attack, identified Derek in a photo lineup as her attacker. That same year, he's also fired from his job of driving for Uh insubordination and causing two accidents in one week. (gasps) A week? (laughs) What? Jeez. Yeah. Then Randy... I can't even find a job and have a clean record. What the hell? Yeah. Then Randy Brewer is murdered. So it seems like things kind of like escalate in his life and then he like attacks someone because mm-hmm. the stress like... I don't even know. So Derek was actually interrogated for her murder and they took a pair of his pants. Oh. He also got picked up on stalking and peeping charges in nearby West Feliciana Parish. For that, he got a $300 fine and two more years of probation. Okay. And then someone told police that Derek was the murderer of Randy 
But the case went cold somehow. Because they were like, he's not a white guy in his 20s. I just don't even. It can't be him. I just can't. Even though his record is like a mile long. Uh, yeah. The, I mean, this is just like, either he's just like stupid, stupid lucky. He's stupid lucky. <laughs> can't even we talk. hate him. Even he. Oh, God. I can't talk. Okay. So this murder happens in 1998. Uh-huh. And someone's like, he's the murderer. And yeah. we have to go all the way to 2004 for, you know. Yep. Because I mean, he didn't fit the profile. Even though people were like. Dude, this is it. And then the other lady is like, uh, I drew a sketch. This is what he looks like. And And the one was like, like, this is the guy. Here's the picture of the guy. Here's the actual photo of him. Beat me and And they were like, "Mm, you must be mistaken. He's just a peeper and a DUI guy. He's not a He's just a peeper and a shaker. (laughs) Okay, so by 1999, Derek was back to living off of his earned wages you know, not just uh, uh-huh. Jacqueline's money. Uh-huh. But now he had another mouth to feed. His Uh-oh. girlfriend, Cassandra <gasps> Green, gave birth Uh-oh. to their son, whom they named Derek Lee. So he's got two juniors? He's got two juniors. Wow, what? In July of that year. Prick. Yep. Derek had been put under surveillance for the murder of Randy, but that didn't stop him from finding his next victim. He began stalking Colette Walker, age 36. <laughs> well, Zephyr doesn't find the story interesting no, at all. Passed I hope out. this isn't giving her nightmares. Are you serious? Yeah. Or this one. That little cutie can get nightmares too. Do you know what I watch on TV all the time? I think they're fine. And they need to get into counseling they need immediately. Therapy. therapy. <laughs> Unsupervised probation. <laughs> I said probation. Give them a, a standing probation, please. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, this is deteriorating quickly. We gotta mm-hmm, finish up. It's okay. Late. Oh God, you have yours to do too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. Do 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 do. Okay, so in June nineteen ninety nine, Colette filed stalking charges against Derek after he muscled his way into her apartment what and tried to convince her that they should date. Oh, there's nothing more romantic than a person shoving their way into your house uninvited. She didn't know him at all. Well, I'm sure he's been peeping on her for a long time. I'm sure he knew her. Uh-huh. Uh, so she kind of, she like got him out of her apartment somehow. She's like, sure, we'll go go home and change. Yeah. Pick me up later. Yeah, Get somehow the fuck she out of my like house, super clever, creep. got him out of the house. He left his phone number and suggested oh. that she call him. Oh, that's, he's a romantic guy. Days later, a friend who lived near Colette asked her about Derek because she'd seen him lurking around her apartment. Oh, my God. She even filed a complaint, but the police did nothing. Uh-huh. On another occasion, Colette's son caught him peeping in their window, and she called the police. Finally, a warrant was issued for Derek's arrest for stalking and unlawful entry, which I'm actually pretty amazed that they even had stalking laws. Yeah, I was going to say, because I know how hard it is to prove where you have to be basically be under attack for them yeah. to do anything. Yeah, it's insane. It's like, well, we can't do anything of him lurking around, peeping, and making you uncomfortable. It's just uh, it's another day. Mm-hmm. Fuck that. Mm-hmm. Stalking is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then he was arrested, finally, but he was bailed out. He pled guilty to the charges and was sentenced to six months in jail. (laughs) He got credit for time served. What? And he did two years probation. 
I am just, I can't, How? I don't, I just. So yeah, uh. they arrested him for stalking, but clearly the laws, you know, for peeping and for stalking weren't even a big deal. Yeah, so then it just tells him like, oh, well, someone was complaining, so we had to make it look like mm-hmm. we did something, but like, go on your merry way, just don't peep in her window, mm-hmm. peep somewhere else. Mm-mm. Oh, it's just the town pervert. Mm-hmm. He's not, he's harmless. He's not going to hurt you. He just likes peeping. Yeah. So then Derek's girlfriend, Cassandra, called the police and reported that Derek was threatening to kill her, and she asked for a protective order. In January of 2000, Cassandra was in the parking lot of Liz's Lounge, which I don't know what that is, and Derek fun. showed up. Uh-oh. He beat her. What? at the In the lounge? In the parking lot. Oh, shit. He, like, stomped her and beat her. What? And he was arrested. Then in February 2000, she started proceedings to get the protective order so that Derek couldn't come near her. Uh, In April 2000, a judge sent Derek to prison for nine months for beating her up in a bar and attempting to run over a deputy while avoiding arrest. Wow. Wow. What the fuck? Although, when it came time for trial, Cassandra refused to testify, which is completely normal because he's probably terrifying. Yeah, well, because every time that she's, like, said anything, it's not helped. Yeah, it just makes it, you know, he's... No one's ever... No one's helped her. Yeah. She's filed all this shit and complained and had all these horrible, terrifying experiences Yeah, why is she going to go when she just feels like he's going to get even madder and he's going to get out? Yeah, they're definitely going to let him out because that's what they've been doing. They've not been protecting her. sentenced to a year in jail. Oh, big whoop. Yeah. So when Derek was released from jail in January 2001, he got a job and started to look for Colette. Oh, God. He bought a car with his wife and reunited with Cassandra. Then he was arrested for beating his wife, Mm. and he stopped showing up. For work for a while. Mm-hmm. His wife dropped the charges and he started working again. Ugh. Then he got fired. <laughs> so this is when the murders really picked up. He killed Gina Green in September. Gerilyn DeSoto next. And then he keeps getting jobs and like losing them. And then he beats and tries to rape Diane Alexander. Then Diane works with the police and they do a sketch and she also gave the police a description of his car. So then after this, they like released the sketch and the information about the car and Colette called the police and said they should look into Derek. So they have they're like being led to so, Derek. So many people along. are like this guy, yeah. this guy, this guy, yeah. and they're like definitely not that guy. Uh, that guy is black. Gotta and be someone the else. FBI said he'd be white, so wrong. Wow. So then he got a car loan from one of his girlfriends and filed an insurance claim on Cassandra's car. <sighs> then he murdered Danae Colomb. Soon after, Marianne Fowler disappeared, and then he got a night job. And after he got a night job at, like, Exxon or something, he killed Carrie Yoder. Fuck. He left his job for a while, and then he got fired. Then the multi-agency task force finally announces, and I believe 2003, Mm -hmm. that they might be looking for a black man. Not just a black man. We we literally have his name. We've got his DNA on profile. Everyone has been saying, it's him, it's him. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're so arrogant that you're like, nope, I didn't think of it first. It's not him. 
Yep. So then this is when they finally get his DNA and he moves his family mm-hmm. out of town. He, I guess, went to Detroit to live with relatives. Mm-hmm. Then the DNA links him with Diane's attack and Randy's murder. And then police went to search Cassandra's house where they... Because they couldn't find him. So they're like, okay, well, we'll just search your house because we know that he's like been yeah. here a lot. And while they're searching her house, guess who calls her? Oh, God. Derek. And the caller ID said the phone call was coming from Atlanta. Oh, geez. So the police were like, we're going to fucking Atlanta. Uh-huh. So they worked with police there and they found him and they arrested him. Shit. So then they start trying to look for Jacqueline because they're like... She might be able to give us some clues as to, like, what he was doing, what he's been out, where he was during the crimes. Like, maybe we can get more evidence from her. Family members thought that she was hiding because she was afraid of Derek. Uh Uh-oh. So, according to family members, Jacqueline claimed that she lived in denial of her husband's transgressions, Mm -hmm. which included stalking, peeping into windows, and infidelity. Mm Mm-hmm. So her aunt claimed that she was afraid of her husband, yeah. and at one point, against her wishes, he had a mistress move into their home. Oh, what? <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. God, this guy. Yep, he is a real the winner. audacity of him. Oh, my God. Okay. Wow. So at first, they couldn't find Jacqueline or the kids. But eventually, in June 2003, the FBI found them in Chicago. Investigators were interested in Jacqueline... Because they needed her to consent before they could be begin digging up the property of her former residence. Right. So in August 2004, Derek was tried for the murder of Geraldine DeSoto. Although eligible for first-degree murder charges, the district attorney elected to try Derek for murder in the second degree since Geraldine was not sexually assaulted and first-degree murder conviction fuck? would be harder to obtain. I mean, yeah, I get that, but like... I know. I know. It's all a game. So, Gerilyn's husband testified about finding her and finding the crime scene and just, like, the blood everywhere. Uh, So, Derek's son also testified. He identified boots that were linked to the crime scene. Jeez. After two hours... The elder junior? I'm not sure. I think the elder junior. (laughs) After two hours of deliberation, the jury found Derek guilty, and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Then the trial for Charlotte... What the hell? Another dog. So then the trial for Charlotte Marie Pace began on October 4th, 2004, was the first day of the trial. The roommate of Charlotte described the bloody crime scene to jurors as they viewed more than a hundred photographs of the crime scene. Oh my god. How is that not traumatizing? Uh, they should offer therapy for all jurors on I mean, like some cases, cases like they this. Do. do they? They yeah. need to. They really need to. On October 5th, 2004, Louisiana State Police Crime Lab DNA analyst. Julia Naylor told jurors that the chance the DNA evidence taken from the body of Charlotte Murray case belonged to someone other than Derek was one in 3.6 quadrillion. Whoa, I've never even heard of a quadrillion. (laughs) It's definitely him. Yeah. On October 6, 2004, a Louisiana police chief crime lab forensic analyst testified that when she first saw the DNA profile of Derek Todd Lee, she recognized it immediately. What? Because it was 
and because it was unusual, and she had seen it so many times before in investigations of five murder cases within 18 months. She knew what his DNA profile looked, looked like. like. And it's like little blobs. Yeah. Because she'd seen it so much. dots and blobs. Yep. And she was like, oh, I recognize this. Oh, I know that guy. <laughs> oh, my God. So oh. everyone fucking knew this guy was a piece of shit. On October 11th, 2004, a woman who survived an attack by Derek Todd Lee because her son came home unexpectedly Fuck. identified Derek as the person who tried to rape her. And... On October 12, 2004, it took a Baton Rouge jury less than 80 minutes to find Derek Todley guilty of capital murder and the death of Charlotte Murray Pace. And the defense rested its case without calling a single witness. They're like, well, we're fucked. Yeah, it's not looking good for us. That woman knows what your DNA looks like. And on October 14, 2004, it took the jury 93 minutes to sentence Derek to die by lethal injection. In January 2005, Derek died from heart disease. Piece of shit. And that's the story of the Baton Rouge serial killer, Derek Toddley. So he got to live his life how he wanted to live without yep. any consequences. Yep. Just little slaps on the wrist here and yes. there. Destroying Everyone was the like, lives of countless hey, people. that guy. And then this person's like, hey, that guy. And this person's like, hey, that guy. And everyone's like, hey, that guy. And the FBI's like, not that guy. And then they're like, hey, maybe it is that guy. So he was only tried for two murders. Yeah. I think they were the two murders that they thought were the Proved. strongest cases. Yeah. Some of the uh, cases that I talked about, some of the women who were murdered, they haven't officially been linked to him, yeah. but chances are it was him. Yeah. And there are like other cases that probably, he probably could have killed more people. I mean, in the time frame between, I mean, who knows when he actually started, but yeah. when they like, the one that they attribute to him the earliest was like, what, 93 or something? 92. 92. Yeah. When he was 23 years old. Up until 2003, 2004. Yeah. Yeah, there's probably way more. Yep. And if he has family in other places, he's going and staying with them and doing stuff. Yeah, who knows? He just was like a horrible, horrible human being. He was like crazy lucky. Fuck. Crazy lucky. Ugh. Yeah. He like never spent any time in jail. But then it's like through all this, like you forget. I guess they they also said that like... In his childhood, he had an IQ of, like, 70 to 75. In his adulthood, he probably had an IQ of, like, 65. But it's, like, huh. so then that's what one of his attorneys brought up in, the, like, the death penalty case. But they're, like, he, you know, he's diminished. Mentally. Mentally, so he shouldn't be. But then it's, like, this chick's Mm-mm. so brutal. And he, like, you know, maybe he didn't have whatever intelligence, like, the... Um, IQ test measures, but clearly he's like making his life work. He's t- getting his way, like he's talking his way out of. Well, and it's like I don't know what the, I don't like, know what the answer is because it's on the one hand I'm like shit. If they had just like put him in jail, put him in prison, mm-hmm. whatever, like would that have actually helped or would that have made not. him worse? And well, and, I don't think it would have made it worse, but I think that it would have. I don't think it would have helped, but at least it would have given gotten him off the street, yes. so he's not attacking so many yeah. people. Yeah. Like, yeah, it wouldn't have helped him. He's not going to... But this is why we need stricter... I don't think he's someone that can be rehabilitated. No, we need stricter punishment for, like, peeping toms and for stalkers. And it shouldn't be, like... It shouldn't be up to the person being stalked to be like, here's my case that I, like, researched for you guys. I mean, I get it because a lot of times stalking is hard to prove. 
and well, like you don't want to prove and, but... like it's the whole like you know you don't want to put people that are falsely accused in jail like people that are being like oh yeah he's totally stalking me and i i get that that's a lot of times why they can't but that's why you have to train detectives and put a detective on that case so if someone is like this person's stalking me it shouldn't be up to them to be like I will do all the research. I will put my no, life at sure. risk for Plus, like years when you, on when end. when it's not just that one woman, it's like 10 women that yeah. are like, this guy's looking in my windows yeah. and my husband came in when it happened and this person. The peeping person, thing is yeah. like such a red flag. That's like mm-hmm. such an invasion of privacy. That's such an invasion of so many things. And that's just like, oh, you know, here, fine, a few hundred dollars and unsupervised no. probation. No, no. I mean, hopefully it's better now, but like, I, guess it, I, think it I just feel like a lot are. of these deaths could have been prevented if he had actually been punished yeah. by, like you said, just him being locked up. Yeah. Just the sheer fact that he was locked up. So. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. The tossed salad, a scrambled egg. The tossed salad. The tossed salad. And the scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. So a tossed salad is someone who clearly knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway. Right, so the tossed salad has more components. The person is able to compartmentalize. And a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong and they're just completely scrambled. Just one component, one track mind. They're all kinds of mixed up. There's no focus. They're disorganized. I feel like he's a tossed salad. I think that he knows what he's doing. Definitely. And he's like smart. I mean, he gets like these women yeah. to give him a chance and have relationships with him. Yeah, and he's talking he's his clearly way like He's talking his way out of his punishments. Smart enough to like figure that shit out. So, so. Yeah, he might he might have like a 70 IQ in like book smarts, but he's like obviously knows how to handle himself and how to like Yeah. go about society and not get in trouble for fucked up shit. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Toss salad. Yeah. I think uh But it just it just made me think again, like it just how one person can just terrorize yeah like a whole community by just being like a horrible human being mm-hmm. and we're always like oh why were all the serial killers like happening in the 70s and stuff like this is the 90s to the early 2000s this guy was like going around yeah like the college campus and like the neighborhoods around and he that. had no fear of being caught because anytime he was ever caught for anything he was being let off and then they weren't even looking for him well and when was dna a thing like he's leaving dna 90s, like all over the fucking 90s place when they first started doing it but like they weren't it wasn't i mean yeah it's, it's only just, now getting better but like shit it's just crazy Ugh, I think I once again law enforcement is a bit of a toss salad as well where it's like they need to get their head out of their ass and yeah why would you narrow in I mean we and all know why commun- you'd narrow in on the pickup truck drivers well, with the Jesus fish. Sure. I think that was well, kind like, of a it, given it's, but-, but it's the whole thing about like, you know, people like oh, crossing state lines, you're not going to converse with each other, or even county lines. Yeah. It's like, the FBI is not going to talk to the local police and figure out what's actually happening in the, well, the town. Well, and if the local police don't even really know what's happening, and like you said, if it's like, you know, he moved from one county or parish or whatever to another, and then he committed a crime, like, across yeah, the Mississippi from another, and then it's like, who knows, you know, like, who knows how much each each parish or each whatever knew, each uh 
police unit or whatever yeah. knew about what was happening in the others. So, yeah, better communication and all that. It's just, like, Mm-mm. that's why they say, like, profiling's not a science. No. It's kind of, it's like art. Yeah. It's like this, sometimes based on what it we works, know, this is doesn't. our best guess is what's happening. But then it's like with guys like this where they're attacking like all yeah. genders, all ethnicities, all ages, like yeah. all everything. Maybe we need to widen our scope of like profiling. Maybe, maybe people you need to like listen Ted... to the people that are like, I saw this guy that looked like this. Well, yeah. But then maybe, but then those aren't reliable either yeah. unless, you know. The one woman who was, like, actually attacked the other one. At least look into it. One. At least look into it. I know. But then it's, like, who knows how, like, the serial killers were, like, oh, they only, like, murdered white women with brown uh, hair. Who knows who else they were murdering, yeah. really? Yeah. If it's just about opportunity. Yeah, so it seems like it was for him. Yeah. Your dog is really having a field day out there. Well, fuck. That sucks. Yeah. I hate that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well. After that horrible story, let's take that a moment. That was quite a bit of murder and mayhem. <laughs> yeah, aren't so, you glad you didn't quite go for the... Yeah, it would have been a lot. It would yeah. have been a a blood... Not bath, a blood ocean. Oh. Um, speaking of blood oceans... Speaking of baths. Speaking of baths... <laughs> Who doesn't love a nice, relaxing soak in the tub? Well, you should add some bath fizzies from Humble Bee Herbal. They're super delightful. Little bath fun time. They Uh, smell great. They make the water a pretty color. They're just lots of fun. And everything from Humble Bee Herbal is all natural, so you don't have to worry about polluting the water. Yeah, with SLS or or other polluting yourself. Yes. So. Check out Humblebee Herbal All Natural Products. Remember, your skin is your biggest organ, so what goes on your skin goes in. Ooh. Make sure it's all good stuff. Yep, Humblebee Herbal only uses the top of the line quality products, ingredients, ingredients for, for their, their products. products. <laughs> and you will love it. I love it. I only use their products now. Everything they make is great. Check them out, humblebeeherbal.com. Use code CRIMINY20 at checkout. To get 20% off your first order, get yourself something nice, get your mom something nice, get all your friends something nice. Humblebeeherbal.com. Check them out. Get yourself some stuff. Humblebeeherbal.com. Okay, so I have to admit that I picked this story. (laughs) Well, firstly, mom... Picked the story? Well, she didn't pick the story, but she was like, I really want... I really want you to one of you guys to do a Black Widow story, and oh. I was like, okay. And then she was like, yeah, because she apparently she enjoys when the motivation is money. What, <laughs> mom? Yep, yep. What? She's like, well, it's a little bit less personal, and I was oh, like, yeah, but people are still like, dying, money, so I'm not gonna be murdered for my money. <laughs> no, uh, this is uh, it's kind of skirting that line. Because then I was like, okay, Black Widows. And I was looking at Black Widows. And then I picked this one because of her name. And I really okay. like her name. Okay. Um, and then, but is that she... But me. is Are she Black a Black Widows Widow? mom's thing? She apparently likes a Black Widow. Huh. Especially when money's the motivation. Well, I love a cult. Mom loves a Black Widow. Mm. What do you love? I mean, I wouldn't say I love... You know what I mean. I mean, a, seri- a, a serial killer. I was going to say I like a serial killer. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So, um, but I'm not sure. She was listed as a Black Widow, but it's yeah. kind of questionable. Okay. Let's jump in. Yeah, I like the ones where you're like, hmm. Because hmm. at first I was like, oh, and then I was reading, I was like, oh. Oh. oh, so I got Let's my oh, together. So I got my information from Murderpedia, uh-huh. Clark ClarkProsecutor.org, Crime Museum, and Thought Co. I feel like you've done Crime Museum a few times. Is it yeah, good? Sometimes they have good stuff. Huh? I've never been there. This is the story of Betty Lou Beats. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. <laughs> Oh, don't ruin her for me. Betty Lou Beats was born Betty Lou Dunavant oh. to Margaret Louise Smithwick and James Garland Dunavant. So she married for last names, maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, Betty Lou like Beats. Murder. Sounds like you'd be like a dancer, like Betty Lou Beats. <laughs> dancing on your feet. Doing like a, I don't know. I would just say, like, you murder to upgrade to the next yeah. best last name. I mean, Beats is pretty Cause, cool. Because, like, our last name sucks because no one can ever pronounce it. No one pronounces it. No, so, what even is it? Right. What Who even knows? is it? We don't know. So that's why we got to marry and murder to upgrade to our okay, next best right. I mean, you can legally change your name as an adult. I mean, that's true. You just got to pay a court fee, but uh, you can do it. I could have done it, but I didn't. You should have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, she was born on March 12th, um, 1937, in Roxboro, North Carolina. Wow, we both went south. Both went south. You went back farther in time. Mm -hmm. Well, just for her birth, yeah. Uh, Betty Lou lost her hearing when she was three years old due to a bout of measles. Ooh, get vaccinated, everyone. Hashtag get vaccinated. Who wants to their baby to lose their hearing because they didn't get them vaccinated yeah. for measles? Yeah, measles. She had a really, really, really high fever for a while, oh, and God. it affected her hearing really badly. That and sucks. I think she had, like, very minimal hearing. Because when you're, like, without completely without hearing, you yeah. like, obviously hearing aids don't help. Yes. So eventually... Eventually, she was able to get Unless hearing aids like to the help, but implant sometimes right that the works, cochlear ear but I don't implant. Think they but had that in the thirties. No, so she's three, lost her hearing. Um, the disability obviously affected her speech because <gasps> Simon, if you destroy that rug, I swear. Because um, you know, when you're three, you're still learning. Yeah. To speak and everything. Well, also when you can't hear yourself, yeah. it's hard to know. You don't know how, how you're, you're saying it. Announcing things. And. Uh, her her family was really poor, so like they weren't able to give her hearing aids or yeah. any kind of special training or yeah. any kind of like education. Yeah. So she was basically like on her own to figure it out. Oh god. So she she did learn to lip read as best she could, but like she's only you know three yeah. when she's kind of. How are so, you gonna know? So she said she didn't even know what she was. She didn't really even know like what people were saying when she was yeah. learning to lip read. But she kind of, like, learned to infer things and, um... Oh, my God. So, like I said, her parents were poor. They were tobacco farmers. Oh. With a love for alcohol. Oh. Which is what we now call alcoholism. Uh, the family moved... It depends on how much you love it. Well, they loved it. Her family moved from North Carolina to Hampton, Virginia. Oh. Where her father was employed as a machinist at the Langley Research Center. I just feel like she had to be so smart to figure out 
what people were saying. Well, yeah, I mean, she was she was bullied a lot. Yes, obviously, I'm sure. and that's horrible. She spent a lot of time alone because oh. she couldn't. She tried really hard to keep up, but she couldn't. This is so sad. Yeah, um, and at the ripe old age of twelve, Uh-oh. her mother was institutionalized. Oh, um, after she had a psychotic break of some sort. Oh shit! Alcohol induced, mm, possibly. Maybe. And she also, Betty Lou claimed later on in life that her father and some other people that she knew sexually abused her. Oh, God. Yeah. This is awful. Well, this isn't the Cheery Time Tales. Let's change it to the Cheery Time (laughs) Tales. I'm tired of the sadness. (laughs) And she also, at 12, because her mom was institutionalized, had to take on the role of mom. To her two younger siblings, who were five and three at she the time. She can't even communicate with them very well. She, I mean, she she communicated at home, Aww. but it was difficult. And on top of taking care of the, the five and three-year-old, she was responsible for the house duties, washing, Hell, shopping, cooking. How do you do that when you're 12? She did it. Oh, God. Um, eventually, like a year or so later, her mom was allowed to come home. At first, it was just on the weekends. She could come home, and then eventually she got, I don't know, quote-unquote healthy or enough that she was Stabilized. not institutionalized. Yeah. And she could take on back on her mother role. Um, and, like, I guess at first, obviously, it was a little bit... Her relationship with her mom was a little bit hard. Yeah, it's like, like you left me, and show. I had to be the mom. But then, um, apparently, Betty Lou said that didn't last very long, and then they became, like, good friends, and they were, like... They would, they were, they would, I don't know. I mean, I think also because of her hearing issues, she only has certain people she can really communicate with. So she. God, this is horrible. Yeah. So her and her mom were on good terms and, you know, a child with, who's sexually assaulted and can't hear and has no help for her disability and had to take on her sibling, basically had to be a parent at the age of 12, uh, she found that at the old maid age of 15, mm-hmm. she uh, met a dude. Named, How? She's an old maid. She's an old maid. and she, She's already been a mother for three years. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. She's basically a grandma at this point. It was 1952 when she met Robert Franklin Branson. And, of course, naturally, they had a daughter the following year. <gasps> so at 16, she's married with a newborn. Oh, mm-hmm, my God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they just met and then got married? Or they met, mm-hmm. got pregnant, got married? I think they got married and got pregnant. Oh, my God. How old is he? I don't know. Oh, shit. I think they were around the same. Like, he was probably, like, 18 or something. Can you imagine? No. I can't. And I won't. <laughs> I refuse to go there. <laughs> After the first year of marriage, the couple separated when Betty Lou accused Robert of being abusive. Oh, God. She described a time that he dragged her into a field and strangled and raped her and told her to scream all she wanted and it would do no good. What? Yeah. Shortly after their separation, she attempted suicide. Oh, God, Betty Lou. You got the bad Mm. rap. You got a short end of the stick. Shit. Yeah. So naturally, as couples do, after they separated, they got back together. And they popped out five more kids. 
That's right. She's got six kids now. Oh, Betty Lou, you poor thing. Mm -hmm. Fuck. Six mm -hmm. kids with an abusive asshole? Exactly. Oh, God, Betty Lou. In 1969, after 18 years of marriage... Shit, girl. Robert left Betty Lou and basically devastated her emotionally and financially. He of took, course he did, because he, he is a narcissist. everything, left her with the kids. Fucking A. So she's broke with six kids. 18 years of marriage. Mm -hmm. They got married when she was 16. Mm-hmm. Are you doing some math? <laughs> yeah, she's 34? Something like that. God damn. Can you yep. imagine? Yeah. You no. have six kids. No. And because she started, they started having the kids at such a young age, she's got no formal education. She's never worked. Well, she didn't really have, I mean, she, All she knows probably is didn't like go how, to school very much either, no, anyway because no, she was she's like a farmer. Care, and she had to take care of her siblings. She was taking siblings. care of her siblings. So she's got no formal education. I think oh. it said that she went, she uh, actually went to school until grade nine, I believe. Because that's when she met the dude and they got married, basically. I'm surprised she was even going yeah. to school. I mean, yeah. they must have been going, like, sometimes, sometimes not kind of a thing. Right. Being, like, farmer right. kids. Right. Oh, my God. So, um, she said she never liked being alone, so the loneliness drove her to take up the old family hobby Alcoholism? of drinking. Shit. <laughs> yep. And, of course, Robert never helped with the kids or never provided any financial support. Oh, God, how and would you do it? because of that, so she was she should have been able to get a, a good amount of welfare for all those kids. You would think so. But somehow, because Robert, the dad, was still alive yeah. and he was supposed to be paying alimony, yeah. they were like, well, we're not going to give you any money because he's supposed to give yeah, you the money. Yeah, he's responsible, not us. So she got Fuck. no money. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, Betty Lou. Betty Lou. So she had to hustle, and she worked her ass off. She got a couple jobs as a waitress. Oh, God. Um, but, all, but because, like, of her hearing impairment, she was employed in less than desirable places. Mm. And... Yeah, it'd be hard to be a waitress. Yeah. No one's like, you don't know sign language. No one's speaking sign language to you. No, she reads lips the best oh, she can. Oh, God. Yeah, she said, like, a lot of times people would say that she was like, a very quiet woman and whatever, and she was like, yeah, in reality, I had no idea what was going on. I tried mm -hmm. to keep up with people that were, you know, what they're talking about, but I can't, like, half the time people don't look at you when they're talking, and I can't, if I don't see them, I can't read their lips. Oh, God. So I have no idea what's going on. That's so hard. Yeah. So she's working her ass off. Her and her kids moved around a lot because she was also afraid of Robert finding them. Oh, God. So she's, like, getting a job here, working there for a few months, then, like, afraid that he's gonna find what them a so horrible he, life. and he would like pop in and out randomly and he would find them ah. mm -hmm. um eventually during this time she got some hearing aids which she said helped a bit but since she had gone so long without really hearing she had a really hard time like interpreting what she was hearing yeah she said after i got hearing aids i learned that all those years i had never heard words right or said them right as well how embarrassing I must have been for my family and husband and children. I knew because of it, uh, or I, sorry, I withdrew because of it. People still don't understand to this day. Even when I try to tell them, they think because I can hear better or talk some, that all is okay. It's not. Do I blame my hearing loss for my lesser life? No. I am only trying to explain what it did to me, what a disability can do to a person and their life when others know and could have done something to help them. 
what abuse and neglect can do to a person. Oh, God, this is tragic. <laughs> but she's got a cool name. Oh, my God. This is awful. Yeah. But well. very, like, eye-opening. Mm-hmm. In 1970, not even a full year after her divorce, she met and married a man named Billy York Lane. I mean, she's, like, making it work. She does. She she makes it work. And, as you know, once your uh, partner picker is bad, you tend to pick Mm. bad partners. Mm -mm. Actually, Betty Lou said, said it pretty well. She said... As I went from one abusive relationship to another, each one seemed to get worse. Oh, God. Sometimes I felt like they all must have read the same book, or else men all have the same makeup. Of course, I knew this was not true. Each one had their own kind of abuse, and it all meant control. They don't start out that way. I believe we miss seeing it so much because as women, we actually try so hard to please. Yeah. When the abusive side comes out, we want to believe that... We want to believe them that they were sorry. Yeah. We forgive and look forward to that nice side again. It seemed like each one of them just had a twist of abuse to that which was already there. Oh. I didn't like being single. Wanted to be married and have a family life I knew was there, even if it, if, even if I had to furnish most of it. Oh my God, Betty Lou. I know. Well, Billy was no different. He was an abusive prick. Wait, these are all things that she, these are like quotes from her. Yeah. Damn, girl. Yeah, because uh, after she's arrested and stuff, she uh, tried to, you know, appeal and all that stuff. And she ended up writing like all these things of like how, you know, I'm a battered woman and like I shouldn't be. A, I can't even abused. imagine be... like, like you basically make up how words are pronounced, how they sound, whatever. You have like your own language, basically. Ugh. And then you get hearing aids, and you're like, oh, God, like she said, how embarrassing. Like, yeah, and she said, oh. like, it. it's not like it made her understand things better, it just made things louder. Yeah. So she's like, oh, so God. I already can't this understand. I'm already, like, in my 30s and can't understand what's going on, oh. and now it's just louder, and it's harder to concentrate. Huh. So, you know, she's with Billy, married, blah, blah, blah. They divorced shortly after they were married, but they still saw each other. Yeah. During one argument, which was probably less of an argument and more of a... Being an asshole. Knockdown, drag out fight. Asshole. Billy broke Betty's nose. In retaliation, she shot him twice. (gasps) She was arrested for attempted murder because he survived. He wasn't arrested for attempted murder for, like, breaking her fucking nose? Well, she shot him. He broke her nose. And she shot him. Not self-defense. But then Billy admitted that he had threatened to kill her first and the charges were dropped. Well, at least he admitted it. And he ended up with some nerve damage in one of his legs and Betty helped him recuperate. Well, she just shot him in the leg. It's like, whatever. <laughs> he threatened well, okay. her and broke in her one, fucking nose. In one article, it was like, oh, she shot him in the abdomen. And in another article, it was like, she shot him in the head. But then another article was like, he had leg yeah, damage. So, so I'm like, I don't know. He had leg damage. <laughs> I don't know. But she like helped him recuperate. So, you know, they're like, oh my God, we're in love again. So they got remarried. <laughs> my God. But don't worry. That marriage only lasted a month. Yeah, obviously that was not healthy. The next year in 1970. 1970- I feel like after you shoot someone, they're still coming back. It's bad. But she <laughs> helped him. <laughs> She helped him learn to walk again. Also, when, you know, you're, they threaten to kill you, yeah, there's no coming back I mean, from that either. Bad. Real bad. Hell. Bad, badly, Roy Brown. 
Uh-huh. Um, the next year, in 1973, in literal Little Rock, Arkansas, at the age of 36, Betty Lou was waitressing at a topless bar when in walked her next husband, Ronnie Threlkeld. Ronnie Threlkeld. All right, I mean, I'm just going to say it. You're not going to find upstanding people at a topless bar. <laughs> okay, you it said it. You I said, said it. it. I said it. I know it's controversial. Well, she but... was a little bit more cautious this time. Not enough. They dated for five years. Oh, so okay. I'm more That's cautious. Good. That's good. It was a rocky five, uh-uh. but five all the same. Mm-hmm. And they were married in 1978. Okay. Less than a year later, Betty Lou attempted to run Ronnie over with a car. Yeah. So, naturally, their marriage ended. I would hope so, but based on Betty Lou's <laughs> past, you never know. Mm-hmm. That could just mean, like, you know, honeymoon phase two. That's true. That same year, Betty Lou did 30 days in county jail for public lewdness. What does that mean? Well, she was arrested at the topless bar she worked at. Yeah. For public lewdness. How lewd do you have to be to I mean, get arrested at a topless bar? She said that she was auditioning. <laughs> Did and they then, know she was auditioning? <laughs> she said she was auditioning and that she wasn't topless. Uh-huh. So I'm guessing they found her naked. I or bottomless. Bottomless. I'm like, well, we she tried a bottomless topless. bar. Uh, what's this bottomless mimosas? I can, I can do that. She was auditioning. Yeah, I couldn't find much information, yeah. but apparently her like, audition went astray. Mm, yeah, seems like so. <laughs> the, the fact that someone at a topless bar calls the police. Well, that's and what like, I was wondering if it was like a, someone that was like had something out for her, or like a cop that was already there that was like that's had it much. out for her. Yeah, I that's don't know. Weird. It's that's really super weird. weird. Anyway, in 1979, she divorced Ronnie. She did time in jail, and she met and married a man named Doyle Wayne Barker. All in one year. Got a divorce, went to jail for 30 days, met a man, married him. Wow. She's a fast mover. Mover and a shaker. Mover and a shaker. Uh, Doyle Wayne was a roofer who was a hard worker. Did she meet him at the top of the I'm not sure where she met him. Okay. And at this point, Betty is 42, and five of her six kids were either living on their own or with their father. I'm not sure how that happened. So she auditioned for a topless bar. Well, she's a waitress. She was already a waitress there. Right, right. But she auditioned for a topless bar in her late 30s? Yep. Way to go. I mean, it's... Arkansas. Maybe that's what it was. She was like auditioning. They're like, she must we're have gonna, had the cheekbones. We didn't say that you can audition. Oh, this is an audition. <laughs> Betty Lou. <laughs> Get off the stage, Betty Lou. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so her kids are split up. So she has the youngest, Bobby, who is middle school age. The other five are either old enough to live on their own or they're living with their father. Okay. I don't know how he got custody of any of them, or maybe it was well, just like... like he was kind of controlling. Maybe, so. maybe they were like teenagers, and they were like, we're going to go live with Dad. Maybe. You took your clothes off in a topless bar. <laughs> um, the couple and Bobby moved to Cedar Creek Lane near... Now, this is the best name of a city I've ever heard. Uh-oh. Gun Barrel City, Texas. It sounds like it would be in Texas. Yep, and uh, they moved into a brand spanking new trailer. 
Wow. They enjoyed going to the local bar and hobbies such as drinking and fighting. (laughs) Betty started uh, confiding in her adult daughter, Shirley, that Doyle Wayne was as abusive as the others. Well, when your hobbies are drinking and fighting. Yeah, 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 they go hand in hand. And there's no information on when they got divorced or separated or any of that, but I'm guessing that the marriage didn't last very long. Okay. And Doyle Wayne kind of just disappeared. Not quite a year had passed after Doyle Wayne seemed to have just walked off when Betty Lou found herself another man. She is a fast mover. She's got a life to live. She does not she like being alone. She doesn't like being alone. <laughs> no. Betty Lou and a retired Dallas firefighter named Jimmy Don Beats. Jimmy Don. They got married in 1982. Betty Lou and Jimmy Don. Yep. Jimmy Don was the most... 1982. Uh Oh, my God. Imagine the puffy sleeves on that wedding dress. Oh, yeah. All the puff. Just no room for him on that stage. (laughs) Full of puff. Jimmy Don was the most successful money-wise of all her husbands. The retired firefighter? Mm -hmm. Okay. He enjoyed fishing and being handy around the house. Oh, okay. In... The same year that they got married in 82, Betty Lou asked Jimmy Don to build her a wishing well in their front yard. Can you imagine? <laughs> it was like Just a, for wishing, not yeah, for like water? Yeah, it was just like a decorative wishing well. Build me a wishing well. So Jimmy Don and her eldest son, Robbie, dug the well. Yes, you heard that right. She has a son, Robbie, and a son, Bobby. Okay. Well, maybe they're not Robert. Maybe they're just Robbie and Bobby. Um, Robbie is a Robert. Oh. Is Bobby a Robert? He might be Bob. Bobby might be a Bobby. I'm not sure. Might be a Bobby. But she's got a Robbie and a Bobby. <laughs> and Robbie and Jimmy Don dug the well. I mean, it wasn't like a real well. Like, they just dug a hole and, like, built around it or something. Okay. On August... I'm thinking, like, wishing well, like, Snow White wishing yeah. well, right? Yeah. The, like, stone y- little thing with the little yeah. roof on top. Yeah, it's just like a little, like... For show or for look. <laughs> for show. For show. Check out my wishing well. For show wishing well. <laughs> That's right. For show. She can make all the wishes. <laughs> so in on August 6th of 83, Betty Lou Beats reported her husband, Jimmy Don Beats, missing from their home. Uh-oh. Because he was well-liked, uh... And, you know, he's a retired firefighter, so all, like, his, he's got, like, he's a big like, community no. of people. Yeah. He had a bunch of people out looking for him. Uh-oh. His boat was found drifting near the Redwood Beach Marina on Cedar Creek Lake six days after he was reported missing. Do we know if he was abusive? Uh, maybe. I mean, we can assume they're all abusive. Oh, um, in his boat... Authorities found Jimmy Don's fishing license, his nitroglycerin tablets, he had a heart problem apparently, uh-huh. a life jacket, and his glasses, but no Jimmy Don beats. A life jacket, his These are things you'd think would be like in your pocket, a fishing or license. on your yeah. person mm-hmm. somehow, not just like thrown in a boat. Mm, interesting. Betty Lou, mm. do your homework. 
Betty Lou had to come to the lake to identify her missing husband's boat and the contents. Two years passed with no leads. Wow. Until information from a confidential informant indicated that Jimmy Don might have been murdered. <gasps> on June 8th, 1985, Betty Lou Beats was arrested. What? On just suspicion? Well, Betty oh. Lou's son <laughs> Robbie came forward and told authorities that the day that Jimmy Don Beats went missing, his mother told him that she intended to kill Jimmy Don. What? And that he should probably leave the house. <gasps> What, Robbie? So he did as he was told, and then he came back two hours later. What? And he found Jimmy Don dead from gunshot, from two gunshot wounds. Wait, your mom's like, I'm going to kill my Today's husband. Today's the day I'm going to kill him. Get out of here. You're like, okay, I'll see you later, mom. Gotcha. You, you well, leave, yeah. you come back, she's killed him. I mean, if you're the kid, like the oldest kid, you've seen her being beaten up by all these men left and right. I don't know. Wouldn't you Take just care be like, of you know, Mom, why don't you come with me? Let's get out of here together. Well, then you don't get any of that money. What money? His retirement. Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he came back, blah, blah, blah. He then helped his mother hide the body in the freshly dug wishing well. How are you going to hide a body in a wishing well? <laughs> I mean, because they, like, dug a hole so that there was, like, a bit of, you know, so you can make wishes deeper. <laughs> deep wishes. You gotta make deep wishes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they, like, wrapped him in a sleeping bag and threw him in the well. The wishing well. I wonder what they, what wish they made when they tossed him in. We wish that he's never found. <laughs> yeah. Robbie then said the next day Betty Lou put some of Jimmy Don's heart meds in the boat and, you know, his other things that were found in the boat and then Robbie removed the propeller uh and the two abandoned the boat in the lake why uh they thought well because he was like a prolific fisherman they thought that like if they found his boat with like engine trouble that like maybe they would think okay I get that but then why wouldn't you just destroy or throw the other stuff in the lake well they had to make it look like it was his boat you could just throw the stuff on the boat and yeah. just like, yeah, yeah, like he wouldn't. Ha- I just, mm-hmm. okay. I don't. Okay. I don't agree with their methods. Well. <laughs> should tell them. Yeah, give me their number. So naturally after this confession of Robbie, a search warrant was issued for Betty Lou's property. And that's when they found Jimmy Don in the wishing well. <laughs> okay. They also found the remains of Doyle <gasps> Wayne Barker. In the wishing well? Buried under a storage shed in the backyard. Wow. Two bullets were found in Jimmy Don's remains, and three were found in Doyle Doyle Wayne's remains. Doyle Wayne's remains. (sighs) Remains. All five bullets were from the same thirty-eight caliber pistol. Oh, you see, you should have thrown the... The gun and the boat, too. And that pistol was the same pistol that had been seized from the Beats residence during an unrelated incident. Oops. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Betty Lou's daughter Shirley came forward and told detectives that she had assisted her mother <gasps> in burying her Doyle Wayne. Whoa. In October of 81. She just ropes her children in. Under the light of a full moon. Oh, so romantic. That's cute. Well, you have to go out to have flashlights. 
That's right. That's nice. Yeah. Conserve batteries. Plus, you got that full moon energy yeah. to, like, bless yeah. the grave or something. Bless it. You know? <laughs> a witness came forward and testified that Betty Lou had made attempts to collect Jimmy Don's pension benefits and life insurance after his death. Yeah, obviously. Mm-hmm. On ju- well, it wasn't his death, though. It was, like, his disappearance mm-hmm. at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Mm, see that's oh that's why she did the fishing license to prove that he was was on the boat and he was gone yeah okay yeah see he was here we can't find him yeah he's dead got it okay um on july 11th of 85 betty lou beats was indicted for the capital offense of murder the murder of jimmy don beats Mm -hmm. and for remuneration and the promise of remuneration which apparently was about, like, her trying to collect his benefits. Yes, okay. Okay. She pleaded not guilty and said that her children <gasps> were responsible for the murders. Betty Lou. Betty That is not Lou. a good way to go. That's, That's not a good look, Betty Lou. Mm-hmm, they helped you. Uh-oh. Both They're kid- your children. And both her kids testified against her yeah obviously mm-hmm. that's just gonna cause problems for you buddy Throwing us under the bus she's not going about this the right way no um because she couldn't hear she didn't know what was going on during trial oh shit betty lou there were no speakers nobody told her what was happening <gasps> and her attorney was actually later charged for cooperation with the prosecution <gasps> What the fuck? And That's it was, corrupt. It was also never brought to the jury's attention that Betty Lou was deaf and that she could only understand parts of what was going on. So she couldn't that even be involved in her own trial. fucking horrible. And also she would just look like she, you know, she'd look like she doesn't care or whatever because yeah. she can't hear what they're yeah. saying. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Oh, God. This is awful. Mm-hmm. On October 11th of 85, she was found guilty of capital murder, and three days later, sh- later she was sentenced to death. Oh no, Betty Lou. Her conviction and sentence were automatically appealed to yes. the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. The court reversed the conviction for capital murder, okay. finding that murder committed for the purpose of obtaining insurance and pension benefits did not constitute murder for remuneration, as defined by Texas Penal Code. Okay. But then on September 21st of 88, the state requested a hearing of the case, and the Court of Criminal Appeals affirmed her original conviction and sentence. She was given an execution date of November 8th of 89. They're really going to go through with it. Yeah. But due to more appeals cases, it was pushed back. And then she was granted a couple stays of execution. Yeah. And every time she saw some hope, it was taken away just as quickly. Oh, God, Betty Lou. She was charged but never tried for the murder of Doyle Wayne. Um, oh. I think because they had a more solid case with Jimmy Don. Well, yeah, they got her on capital yeah. murder. Yeah, so they were like, she's going to die anyway. We don't need to. Oh, a... shit. She said that he was going to leave her... Uh, Oh, so about, uh, of Doyle Wayne, she said that he was going to leave her, uh, and she was under the assumption that the brand new trailer that they bought was in his name, so she was obviously fearing what was gonna, what happened to her the Once first again, time, she was she's gonna, gonna be left, left with, with nothing. nothing, yeah, so she murdered him, and oh. buried him under the shed, yeah, her attorneys tried to get the case re-examined by Texas officials, 
because she was a battered woman. Yeah. But that didn't work. The U.S. District Judge James Nolan said the motion to stop the execution was yet another example of a prisoner attempting to delay execution just prior to the execution date. Like, first of all, duh, duh, what do you think appeals are for? (laughs) Like, duh, and also... I just feel like he has no room to talk. Mm -hmm. Like, with with judgments like that, I feel like the person who makes the judgment should be someone who is, like, a battered Mm -hmm. spouse themselves. Or at least So they could really, like, determine. Or someone who's been trained or an advocate for, like, a battered spouse is someone who could, like, actually look at the situation and judge it, you know, for what it is. I don't think that whatever the fuck his name is Mm -hmm. knew anything about being a battered spouse. And it wasn't really a thing at the time. Um, the same judge also dismissed a lawsuit which argued that Betty Lou's civil rights were violated because she wasn't able to present evidence that she suffered years of domestic abuse. Well, also, not just that, but she can't fucking hear. hear. But yeah, the the judge wouldn't allow them to bring in any evidence of her previous abuse. See, I don't understand how when judges make decisions like that how that's not a violation of her rights for like a fair trial and you're the judge you can be like nope i said it wasn't especially for like uh the sentencing phase Mm -hmm. like how are you not able to talk about that no these southern judges stuck in their ways uh domestic violence awareness groups and amnesty international wanted her death sentence to be commuted to life in prison Mm -hmm. beat's daughter faye Faye Lane told the parole board Tuesday, whenever this was written, Mm -hmm. all my mama's life, she's been abused. I've seen it with my own eyes, and I know that if the jury heard the truth about my mama, she only could have done something like this if she'd been very scared or threatened. I'm not saying that my mother should go free, but but to be allowed to live out her remaining years in prison. The group reached out to then-Governor George Bush and asked him to commute the sentence. And he was like, nah. Because he was also running for the for George presidency the next year. Senior yeah. Bush. Oh, that dude's a real dick. He was like, nah. He's like, no, I'm going to focus on what nah. I'm doing because I'm like, I mean, slimy slime ball. Yeah, according to the governor's office, Bush had received 2,108 phone calls and letters opposing Beat's execution. Wow. And 57 calls and letters favoring it. He didn't care. He was basically, he basically said, I trust that you've made the right judgment. Yeah, because he's a real, yeah. if you really mm-hmm. look into George Bush, he's a real skis ball. He's like mm-hmm. a piece of shit. The whole Bush shit. family is a piece of shit. Yeah, true that. Stephen Hawkins. He's not looking out for some woman who can't hear. No. Stephen Hawkins, who is the ex- executive director of the National Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty, implored to Bush grant a reprieve so evidence of her being battered may be fully evaluated. Yeah. Far from receiving careful consideration, the role of domestic abuse in Betty's crime has been continually slept, swept under the rug by the Texas court system. Yeah. I just don't understand how hard it is as a governor or whatever just to be like, yeah, review this. No. How hard is it to fucking say Well, you don't want to look that. soft when your whole thing is like, I'm the hard governor. Well, I don't want to say I'm the hard governor. But <laughs> I'm trying was. to say it all. <laughs> <laughs> he loved you know war and yeah. just taking advantage of people. And and then Betty Lou said, I really believe that to kill me is to tell every battered woman and child, mm-hmm. every abused woman and child, that there is not a chance, yeah. that there is no end but death, that we can't fight back. 
it doesn't have to be this way, and God help us all if this is the way. Yeah. On February 24th of 2000, at age 62, Betty Lou Beats refused a last meal and had no last words. Oh, God, She was strapped down to the table and injected with a lethal cocktail of drugs, and she died at 6.18 that evening. So, was she a black widow? Was she a battered wife? Was she both? Her supporters pointed out that she was convicted before the battered wife syndrome was widely used defense in courtrooms. Yeah. And before states began commuting sentences of victims of domestic violence. Yeah. I just... Like, yeah, killing is wrong, definitely. Mm -hmm. But life in prison wouldn't have been that hard to just be like, yeah, let's give her life in prison. Right? And if she, like, I don't know, because you didn't really go into the firefighter, so who knows, like, if he was abusive or what. But honestly, like, if she, it sounds like. she picked him, he probably is. I mean, probably. And the one dude who was abusive and she was afraid that he was going to leave her and that was, like, trauma coming back from her past, like, that's, like, self-defense, you know? She's in survival mode at that point. her whole life is one big trauma. Yeah. I just... Yeah. They could have just left her in prison for life. She had it rough. She really did. Poor Betty Lou. And I think, like, she did the best that she could with the circumstances she was given. I just can't even imagine the hand that she was dealt. It's like, how does that happen to one person? How does that fucking happen? And I know a lot of people have had, like, really hard lives. It's just life isn't fair. Yeah, so when I was, like, initially looking at it, it was like, Well, that wasn't oh, a fun black widow. Oh, she's a, she's a black widow. And I was like, oh, fun. And her name is fun. And, wow. and like, she buried they someone in a wishing well. like that. You're like, cool. oh, this one's going to be, like, fine. And then the nope. farther you go into it, the more it's like, what the this fuck? This is not fine. This is the worst. You, like, have a knack for finding the horrible, horrible. Yeah, so. That was tragic. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. The tossed salad a scrambled egg I think uh, I don't necessarily think that she was a tossed salad or a scrambled egg I think she had a bad hand dealt to her and she did the best she could with what she was given and she reacted she made rash decisions based on her past and I mean I think well I think just the fact that her reality was so different from a lot of our realities like and in, in the past, ways, the only way that she was able to defend herself, like, she shot the one husband who survived, and it was, yeah. like, that was the only way that he stopped, like, in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and her her first husband, like, dragged her into a field and raped mm-hmm. her. Like, what the fuck? Like, that's her experience of, yeah, like, partners. Yeah, and then left her with six children. Mm, and would show up just to, like, traumatize her and then leave again. It's, like... Yeah, she said that this like this poor the, woman is in survival sometimes mode the, all the time. Sometimes the like I don't know if it's the court or whoever deals with like alimony and stuff would be like yeah, uh, you owe money or whatever, and he'd be like, oh yeah, and he'd like drive, find wherever she was and like give her fifty bucks for the month, fifty bucks for six kids for the month, and it wasn't every month; it was just whenever the courts were like, you need to go give her money. You like owe her a shit ton of money. And, wow. <laughs> yeah. And she's, like, struggling. She can't even hear, and she's trying to find jobs mm-hmm. where you have to hear. Off. She was basically working, like, up to three jobs at a time. Oh, my God. And raising six kids. That was just horrible. Mm-hmm. 
poor Betty Lou Beats. Uh, yeah. Betty Lou Beats and those Jimmy Don feats. <laughs> well. If you need to take care of your Jimmy Don feats, try Hubblebee Herbal Happy Feet Deluxe Spa Box, and your feet will be so happy. It comes with soaking salts, a salve, socks, and a pumice soap, which you can use on your whole body, but especially pumice those little yeah, dried out those, paw pads. You're on those gams every day. Yeah. Give yourself something nice. Treat your feet because they are working hard for you. Yeah, so, so work hard for them. Check out Humblebee Herbal. Get yourself a spa box for your feet. Humblebee Herbal, promo code CRIMINY20 for 20% off your first order. Check them out. HumblebeeHerbal.com. HumblebeeHerbal.com. All right, CRIMINY6. CRIMINY6. All right. And now for the portion that we like to call Criminy Sakes, where we tell you silly stories about crime that make you forget the terrible things we just told you. This one is from rd.com. Oh, I just want to say one. Uh-huh. This isn't really like Criminy Sakes, but it is kind of like a woohoo. Ooh. So California just told Nestle to stop stealing our fucking water mm. because Nestle has been pumping water for like centuries now. And they're like, oh, we have a right to the stream, but they have a right to like, you know, a certain amount of gallons. And they're taking like hundreds, if not thousands of yeah, gallons. And we're like the stream, burning here because we have no water. Which is destroying the watershed. Of, so fuck you, Nestle. Yeah. Get the fuck out of California. Stop stealing everyone's water. Get the fuck out fuck of off. the world. Fuck off, Nestle. Nestle, you are battering all of us. Way to go, California. I just want to say that. Yeah, no one buy Nestle products. They're ruining look the world. Look them up. Look up how much they're actually, they own. Like, everything's owned by fucking Nestle. Mm-hmm. Boycott. Please stop buying their products. Yep, they're horrible. Stop letting them steal they all of our water. They are literally killing people. They murdered babies in Africa by convincing mothers that their breast milk wasn't good enough and that formula was mm-hmm. better. So they gave them, like, free samples of formula, and they had to mix it with dirty water. Mm. And they gave them enough free formula so their mother's breast milk stopped producing, and then their babies, like, starved to death because they couldn't afford to buy more formula when Nestle was like, now you have to pay for it. So Fucking evil. Fuck yourself, Nestle, you piece of shit. Get out of here. Disgusting company. Sorry, just had to say it. Proud of California. Way to go. Woo! Finally. Best state. Okay, so like I said, I got this one from rd.com. This one says, according to the bus driver, it was a brutal, (laughs) unprovoked attack. Oh, no. A woman got on his bus and assaulted him (gasps) with a half-eaten banana. Ew. I had banana all over me, he insisted, on my tie, my shirt, and my eye. The woman explained that... The woman explained that the driver had almost hit her car and that when she entered the bus to rationally discuss the matter, the banana slipped. Oh, right, that much? Right into his tie, his shirt, and his eye. How did it slip that much? <laughs> it's a slippery. Have you ever tried to hold a banana? You know, cartoons, banana peels, slippery. Very did slippery situation. Did she peel the whole banana? Well, she was like munching on her banana when she like the almost got hit. The peel is not that slippery from the outside when you're holding it, though. It's not going to slip well, out of your Maybe hand. she had lotioned up. Ew. <laughs> uh, the court may have not believed that, 
but it did believe her when she argued that it was unreasonable that a banana could cause this much damage. How much damage? They slapped her with a fine of only $100. How much damage? Was his, like, tie and shirt stained, and then he got got banana banana in his eye? Banana. I feel like, you know, banana in your eye does kind of suck. It does suck. I mean, banana anywhere sucks. Yeah, and that's going to smell like banana forever. Forever, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was ridiculous. This one's from the same source. It says, The victim's jewelry was missing. The electronics were gone. And a window was smashed. No wonder she was hysterical when Officer Sharanjit Mahuro of the Calgary police arrived. Then her French-speaking father called. Speaking in French, she explained that it was all a scam in order to get the insurance money. What? What she didn't suspect was that Officer Mehuro speaks six languages, <gasps> including French. So she was talking to her dad in French, thinking that he couldn't understand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah. She's she like, she I told... got this dumb officer over here. Yeah. Gonna, like... He thinks my jewelry and electronics are stolen. I told him all my stolen, shit was stolen. And I smashed the window. And dude was like, uh-huh. And he was like, uh, wee wee. <laughs> yes. That was my extent of French. Parlez vous français? Hallelujah. That means do you speak French? Yep. I don't know what to say. I speak French. Mm-hmm. One more from the same source. For a trio of drug thieves, it was their lucky day. Oh? They broke into a home in Silver Springs, Florida. Florida. And discovered three jars of cocaine. Whoa! They took it home and snorted the contents. Uh-oh. That's when they discovered that the jars were in fact urns. And that they were snorting the cremains of the victim's husband and two dogs. Oh! Oh, God, that poor person lost their husband and two dogs. Up the noses of druggies. (laughs) That is tragic. Also, how high are you that you don't know? I mean, you're a coke addict. Wouldn't you know this is not... You think so. Also, I mean, who stores their cocaine in jars? Like, like, you go into someone's house, they have to be somewhere, like, (laughs) obvious, right? Like, you. Yeah. So that's. They're like, oh, haven't you ever seen these fancy cocaine jars before? Yeah. Yeah, who keeps their cocaine in jars? You gotta snort sort of all. It takes a while to kick in. (laughs) <laughs> like what? How do that you? That is not? horrible. Mm. That's horrible. I wonder how much they snorted before they were discovered. I'm guessing, like I said, you do a line and you're like, "That is not cocaine." I don't know what it is, but that is not drugs. Yeah, right? did you like test it first? Uh, I don't. I mean, I. I I've never like poured a line of urn for, <laughs> of remains and like. But I would assume it's got, like, a bit of a different texture than cocaine. I would assume. Uh, it, ha- it would have, like, a different everything, Wouldn't right? It be a different color? I don't kind of, like, know. like, smell, taste. Yeah. Feel. I think you're, like, gumming the cremains, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, this is a good one. That's unfortunate. Mm. Well, on that note. <laughs> <gasps> on that just note. Just don't snore anything. Things should not be going up your nose. I'm just going to put it out there. It's a very delicate mucus balance up there. Just don't fuck with it. Yeah, you your don't nose want will those brain-eating me- amoebas and stuff Ew, going up there. Yeah, even neti pots, guys. If you're using a neti pot, make sure it's purified water. Boil your water. Pure, get it purified. Brain purify munchers. It. Yeah. Oh, 
Just don't stick things up your nose. Just like, just build a treehouse out in the woods. Never leave it. Never yeah. snort anything. Just yeah. don't. Just be, a, what is those, breatharians? Just be yes. a breatharian. Only live on breath. Yeah, and sunlight. And sunlight. And you'll be fine. You'll be great. Guaranteed. We're doctors. We 100% know what we're talking about. And We're like those doctors on TV on the prescription commercials <laughs> uh-huh. with the lab coat. We have lab we coats have lab, on right now. We have now, stethoscopes. So we're checking each other's heart rates with I our stethoscope. I do want a stethoscope. I'll make you look official. I'd like to hear you can get... what's going on in there. Whoa, okay. <laughs> well, you know when Tobe was like raspy? If I had one, I could like listen to his lungs, okay. you know? Well, your birthday is coming up in a few months. Don't say that. <laughs> so I'm going to get you a stethoscope? Don't say that. Let's make my stomach well, churn. We're getting you a bounce house. I better get a bounce house. It's the only way I'll accept my birthday this year. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a bounce house. Okay. All so right. <laughs> check out our sponsors, Humble Bee Herbal. Treat yourself. Get yourself something nice. Treat get someone you love. Friends and family nice things. Treat everyone. Code CRIMINY20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. And uh, rate, review, subscribe, reach out, CRIMINYPODCAST at gmail.com. Uh, Instagram, Crammy Podcast, you know, the drill. You know the drill. Check it out. You we know podcasts. Here. You love podcasts. Support po- podcasts. Support local. Support small businesses. Yeah. Treat yourself. Stop buying from Nestle and Amazon. Yeah. Disgusting. And Google. The end. Get out of here. <laughs> um, we love you. Thank you for listening. And Good. we will be here next week. Bye. Goodbye. You gotta leave the room if you're gonna be butt licking and knee chomping.